Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 68 of the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, tonight, Aaron and I are going to try something a little bit different. Um, Actually, we're recording two podcasts at the same time. Um, And I know that just sort of blew your mind, but Aaron's off doing another show talking about a bunch of aspects of Amazon Web Services and the reInvent conference and some of the stuff he did last week. I am on with a couple of old friends and good friends of the show, uh, Gina Minx and Ed Sipatch from Ink Tank. Guys, welcome aboard. Hey, thanks. Thank you. Um, so we had a lot of folks who have been asking us to do more and more things with open source and talk to folks in the community and talk to folks that were doing cool things. So I thought I will get you guys on. Um, you both recently, Ed, you've been on the show a couple of times. You were The last time we talked, you were doing some interesting things with Joyant. You've since left. Gina, you were doing some stuff uh, with Dell. Uh, I've since left. What are you guys doing at Ink Tank nowadays? I'll go first, I guess. Um, I'm the director of training and certification. So I'm getting right now I'm deep, deep, deep in the development process for our training courses for Ceph. Cool. And I'm the director of alliances and channels. And so a little bit of a different role from what what people might have known me for before, which is purely technical. Now I manage the relationships with um, our large alliance partners like uh, you know Intel, Calzada, um, Dell, uh, a, a handful of them, and then also the channel side, which is the VARs and SIs who are doing stuff with Ink Tank and end users. Okay, very very cool. And for anybody who doesn't know uh, Ed or isn't familiar with him, Ed uh, runs. One of the very, very cool podcasts, um, uh, Speaking in Tech. So if you're not listening to that one, put it on your list. Ed does it with uh, Greg Neerman and Sarah Vella, and Gina comes on sometimes as a guest. So if you're not listening to those guys, give them a, give them a listen. Um, uh, so let's, let's start with some really basic stuff. So um, for anybody who isn't familiar with Ink Tank, uh, give us a little bit of background on, on who Ink Tank is, kind of where it came from, and then... Um, kind of the, the core product, the core technology you guys work on, which is called Ceph. What's what's up with Ceph, and why is it cool, and um, why are people interested in it? Sure. So um, Ceph is a technology. It's an open source scale-out storage technology um, that's been around for a number of years. I'd say probably, I think it's like seven or eight years now. Um, but it was an open source project started by our CEO and founder, Sage Weil. And Sage uh, worked on it uh, during his PhD um, program at UC Santa Cruz. And what was interesting about it is he saw a lot of challenges with scale-out storage and HPC around things like Luster and stuff like that, around performance, metadata servers, those kinds of things. So he said, hey, you know, we should be doing this stuff with object storage. We should be we should kind of be solving these problems at a, a little bit lower level um, and doing it differently than what people are traditionally used to. Um, so he worked on that for a while. Uh, he's one of the co-founders of DreamHost, which is a, a pretty large um, hosting company. Uh, and so with that, um, about uh, about a year ago, um, the idea came to say, okay, this is starting, Ceph itself is starting to get mature. Um, so, hey, there's a lot of customers who are trying this out 
Um, some of them are looking for support, either development or end-user support when they go into production. And so that was really the genesis of InkTank, is really putting a company behind the open-source project, uh, very similar to what Red Hat did um, and a lot of other open-source companies. So it's kind of, um, you know, it, there's just the open-source uh, project, and we just do support and services and also co-development around it for customers and partners. Okay, very cool. So... Um, I was telling somebody, I don't know, a few months ago when you left to go over there, I said, you know, you're, you're kind of, I think at the time you were originally doing sort of systems engineering stuff before you were, or sort of services systems engineering before you took on. And I said, you know, you're, you're kind of beginning to become kind of the, the next generation type of systems integrator or VAR in that um, you're not dependent on some vendor. You're sort of, you know, it's, it's, Use your own smarts, drive the community. Um, you kind of drive your own markets. You can you can kind of drive your own use cases. Um, so so Ceph is a, it's a it's an Apache project or it's a it's just a like where is it living from a community perspective from an open source perspective? Um, it's LGPL and there's okay. no foundation that's really uh, on top of it. Um, one thing that I should mention that's pretty cool is that Ceph the client side is upstreamed into the Linux kernel. So if you have a Linux kernel within the last two years um, and you set up a Ceph cluster, those guys can all mount it and consume Ceph storage, be it block or object or, or file system. Okay. So that means so that that's sort of the interesting thing when you start getting into these these open source projects is, you know, unlike a, a traditional, say, hardware vendor, storage vendor that that might say, hey, my channel is, uh, you know, the, the sort of the traditional types of channels, distributions, and so forth. I mean, your your primary channel is almost like Linux distributions, right? It's canonical, it's Red Hat, it's, you know, all the different ones that are out there. Is it is it certain uh, Linux distros, or is it sort of all of them at this point? So we have partnerships to, to varying degrees. I mean, you can say that they're consumable if somebody wants to bootstrap things themselves, there's Red Hat packages, there's um, Ubuntu packages, and also SUSE packages. Um, some of them, we some of those partners we work a little bit closer with, like Canonical and SUSE, to make sure that on the server side of things, those packages are already sitting inside of those distros. Um, it's a part of SUSE Cloud, uh, which I think is preview. I don't remember if it was GA yet. Okay. Um, and then, and then Ubuntu has it upstreamed into their releases as well. Um, and then you get you get also some pretty interesting things around um, the automated deployment systems that these vendors are building. So, um, Canonical uses something called Juju, which is kind of like Chef or Puppet. So it's right. really about being able to stand these things up pretty easily. Um, so we do more extensive work with with Canonical and SUSE for sure. Um, Red Hat's kind of been out there, and Red Hat, you know, th- those guys have had. Um, Gluster is an acquisition, so it's kind of been a little bit interesting trying to figure out how to work with Red Hat and how they want to work with us. Right, right. So so walk me through, um, and, and Gina, jump in here. So sort of walk me through kind of a typical engagement. Um, so you, you, you find a, a business, you find some developers that have been playing with Ceph, say the open source bits. Um, they engage Ink Tank because they know you guys know it, um, but they want to take it to the next step. What's the What's the typical sort of engagement? I mean, who do they... Do they typically engage Ink Tank first? Do they go through, you know, a, a partner like like Dell or somebody else? And then what's the what's the typical engagement? Is it, you know, Gina, are you are you going on site to help them do training for stuff? Is it, you know, consult you know consulting kind of time? I mean, what's a what's a typical sort of engagement around that? Uh, I'll let Ed go ahead and start that because that's basically all he does right now, right, Ed? Yeah. Um, so. 
we've got uh, we do actually. I mean, it kind of feeds into into exactly what Gina's been doing. But we've been before Gina came along. Um, customers who are s- still trying to figure out how to adopt it and how to use it will will pay us to come in and do things around training. So technical deep dives with an engineer um, for a couple of days. Right now, Sage uh, is in China doing something with an, uh, a large alliance partner where he's spending a week there um, as they start to build some things around Ceph on the, on the hardware side. Um, so those are, those are a handful of the engagements. And then we also have... Um, you know the technology is kind of split up between block, object, and file. And right now, there's there are people deploying block and object in production, but there's still a tremendous amount of interest around file. What we find in those file system use cases is that a lot of people are going through and PO seeing it first to see if they can use it to replace things like cluster and luster. Um, so you'll find engagements where you'll help somebody stand up a POC and then kind of support them. On the block and object side, we we are have we have customers who are already doing um, production support. Um, the, the the interesting thing I think about it is that uh, people will ask us when they're prospects or their investors or their their alliance partners of you know how many customers do you have how many how many customers and the answer that we have is. Well, we have X amount of customers, but you have to realize when you're dealing with an open source project and an eight-month-old company, the project really is much larger than we are. Um, and I think, you know, even uh, as Gina's kind of doing a lot of her training stuff, she can kind of speak to this. But, you know, a handful of her information, though, a lot of it comes from Intank, is is out there. It's in the community. And so really kind of gluing those things together to do both the services side, support, and then also um do things like training for people has kind of been um, it's it's kind of evenly split between those type of engagements. Gotcha. I think gotcha. the other thing I'd, I'd say too is is it's an awful lot like Linux was when you know like 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. So um, and I was on I was definitely somebody who used Linux and, and was going through the process of which um, flavor do we use of, and all of that kind of thing. So I think it's an awful lot like that since it's an open source product. If you there's a very active community, so if you if you look at the Ceph community, there's an IRC channel. People just kind of pop up and say, "Hey, I'm trying to figure this out." The engineers sit on the IRC channel, so you're getting this really direct feedback from people who are developing and, and contributing to that code base right. and, and helping people out. And and that is actually where there's a lot of meat for me as I'm developing the training. Some of the questions that get asked and what do people need to know. But I, I think kind of where people are and how they do things um it's it's you know you can't it it's not like a, a project that's not open source like a commercial product where you'd have to you know put in a fake name to get a download and try it out if that's really what you wanted to do sure. you can actually just go and grab the code and try it out and and come and ask somebody some questions and and or poke around blog post and that's kind of how it gets started sometimes as well right right and that you know and i think we've, we've heard that from a lot of people i mean i know um, you know, we had we've had Peter Ulander who runs the the CloudStack project, or you know, was was heavily involved with that from an open source perspective. And you know, I mean, he's kind of quick to say things like, "Well, we've we've got like, you know, tens, twenties, thirty thousand customers. Not all of them are paying. In fact, you know, the majority of them don't pay them directly. But like yeah. you said, you, you do have this sort of very large number of people who take advantage of the fact that you can can go experiment with it. You can go play with it. You can see where it fits, and you can you can kind of you know, see how much you want to you want to deal with it, and then and then you go you know explore the IRC channels, you go explore the communities, and so so I'm curious, you know, part of this I'm kind of just exploring, um, you know, the the difference between sort of the traditional companies and the and the ones that have this hybrid between, 
you know, open source products and, and kind of, you know, for fee products. I mean, it's, you know, it's what, it's like what Red Hat has done, but obviously that model evolves. So even, even as you're doing, you know, training and certification, I'm kind of poking at this because there is a lot of people that are trying to figure out how do I engage with this? How do I update my skills? I mean, do you, do you have to think about that from an open source perspective? Is the, is the things you're building, the content you're building, do you, are you thinking in terms of, I'm going to give a lot of this away to the community up front, or is it, do you think about that as a, as a product more as an enterprise kind of product? Um, so, so that's definitely a discussion. It's an interesting internal discussion all the time as well. And I think, you know, I used to talk, I started talking about this back at EMC about this idea of a learning GPS and, and even with commercial products, um, if you go and Google like symmetrics or Clarion, you can mm-hmm. get some blog posts that are better than most of the training that's written. And I can say that because I worked in the training department. Sure. Um, so I think the way that we as technical people learn um, is very different. So the whole idea of a G- the learning GPS is that, you know, any time you go to a boot camp that is specifically tailored to your job role and things you need to know to get your job done, that's always the fastest way to learn something. But a lot of times what happens, like a five-day course for most of us is useless, right? Once you get to a certain technical level, you come in with so many experiences and, and knowledge that, you know, you might need like half a day's lecture and you're like, oh yeah, that was worth the five days that I, you know, it's basically right, like you're checking right. email the rest of the time. So there's a huge, you know, uh, development process of of what is actually things people will need to know to get started and and how much of that already exists and and how you know and how what do we what is for that direct at, you know that direct line in the GPS that that boot camp that's probably what we want to charge people for and and have the advantage that you know our company has the most committers to the project you know for the training development I have best access to them right now gotcha um, and and then how do we point them like you know like the next thing the other thing a GPS will do is like avoid the highways what if I just kind of want to you know I've got other projects going on I just want to pick this up when I can so can we point people to the best RSS feeds or to the best podcast or you know how do we point people to the best information Twitter accounts to follow whatever so that if they just kind of want to pick it up little bit by little bit that they can so kind of thinking about that and we have a you know we have a VP of community and a great marketing team that are super social that are all involved with that so I think it's kind of like this combination it has to be I mean we just don't that it's it's not just technology that's changing but definitely education has changed because we've got the technology to do things that actually make a lot more sense than they did 15 years ago yeah let's let's people do it when they want to where they want to all that all that sort of stuff exactly so, so you guys have you guys have both um, been with kind of traditional storage vendors in the past. Um, you know, storage may or may not be considered sexy or interesting to some people, but but it does have certain kind of technical characteristics that that people come to expect, right? In terms of latencies and availability, and um, you know, and I know having sat through some of the webinars, you know, for uh, you know, build a cloud day and and some things where where uh, Ink Tank and Ceph is present, you know, it kind of builds on this idea of, you know, it's software-defined storage. It can take advantage of, you know, the latest uh, Intel hardware and those things. But, like, how are you finding people as they're deploying it, especially maybe not so much with Object because Object has a lot more flexibility. The applications are built to sort of deal with failure. But, you know, when you're seeing people do it for file or for block, like, who who kind of 
puts the guidance around that says this is how you should build the network for it. These are the kind of you know hardware nodes that you should you should typically use for certain kind of performance. How, how does that work uh, in sort of the open source storage world? Or what are you seeing people doing? What are you seeing the community doing? I, I tend to see a lot of people who are um, you've got two camps. You've got the self starters who. Um, they tend to either be in uh, HPC or they're really kind of up to date with what's happening in cloud, and that's mm-hmm. kind of where you see a lot of the interest. Um, and that's one camp of people where it's it's really kind of got grassroots adoption versus um, top-down adoption. And then you've also got those portion of people who might not be familiar with it, and they're like, we want to replace the incumbents that are sitting here, and there's an open source and better way to do it. Um, and I think that's that's the same, like, you know, that Gina was talking about with, with Unix, right? A lot of us um, who have been end users at some point in time were like, hey, instead of having all these Solaris web servers, let's use Linux on x86 hardware. Um, so there, the, you've got those two type uh, two types of adopters. Um, the, the people who are the self-starters uh, tend to experiment, and then sometimes things will go bad, sometimes, sometimes things will go good. Um but I think all across like the board with those guys, you you have to kind of um, try to make sure as much information is out there as possible around best practices and stuff like that, or that they know who to go to. Um, but more typically, they're going to use community information. And then when you get things like like top down, where it's you know it starts off as like a mandate for a project, there's funding behind it, those kinds of things. Um, they'll they'll engage us first. I mean, they'll they'll definitely get involved and say, okay, like how do we do this so we don't mess it up? It's not really a whole lot different than what you know um, we've been used to in the VDI days, right? Like you know, two years ago, I think it's getting a little bit better these days. But you know, people would say, oh, I can deploy virtual desktops. I found space on our SAN. I did the sixty day trial, um, and the experience was horrible, right? Because storage actually is a pretty it can be. It can still be a pretty complicated thing to engineer, even even with Ceph. Like right. even with as easy as we are to manage, grow clusters, do those things, you, you can still screw it up, right? You pick your hardware, you throw your software on there. Um, I think that's what what a lot of vendors who are doing software only storage or software only based solutions that are dependent upon hardware um, experience. So, you know, the best thing that you can do is make sure that the community is armed with en- enough knowledge. There's wikis out there. There are those kinds of things. But, you know, honestly, Brian, I mean, I don't really see um, there. there's still it still tends to be a world out there where um, if you Google how to deploy Ceph, it's not like there's a wealth of, of knowledge at the moment. Um, and that might be just because you know, uh, Ceph is not nearly as widely adopted um, as some, but um, right now I would say as far as community-based information around best practices around stuff, I think we're still figuring it, that out, and in turn that really looks very similar to what you would look for if you look for a blog post on how to, you know, the best way to configure your, your VNX or your FAS okay. or whatever. Yeah, okay. And it's, I, so, you know, the open source storage space is, is kind of, um, it's getting a little bit crowded. I mean, you talked about, um, you know, Gluster. Gluster got bought by Red Hat. You've got Nextenta. You've got, you know, some of the, the people spinning out some things with, you know, OpenStack with Swift and, and Cinder. And, you know, and then you even got, you know, some of the sort of hybrid database storage companies like Abasho or somebody like that. I mean, you know, in the, in the kind of traditional storage space, um, you know, storage admins, for example, I mean, over time, they've sort of learned, okay, that vendor does this temp you know, fairly well, this vendor does that fairly well. Um, what are you guys finding? Cause I, I got to imagine a lot of the people you deal with maybe aren't 
traditional storage admins, they're, they're developers, they're DevOps. I mean, how, how, what are you finding is sort of the sweet spot for Ceph or where do you find, um, you know, it, it, people start to understand which one might make more sense for certain applications or other applications, or is it still a little bit hazy? You want to take that, Gina? <laughs> I I think it kind of depends, and and this could I always like um I, I think number one since since we do all all the types of storage that a typical storage admin would be used to, yeah. that's an easy way for them to kind of break into it. We you know it's a it's an object store at its base. You can mount um, there's ways to mount mount it as um, a block. And there's a file system, so it's it's kind of that same story, super scalable. So that part of it's, I think, an easy entryway to start talking about store about it to storage people. And I think developers um, they care about storage in a different way than storage people do, right. <laughs> for sure. You know, and, and that's interesting. I think that that Ink Tank has done a really good job hiring. You know, the the core developers are all from that kind of dev developer programming mentality, and they're using what they want to see in storage. That's kind of how the whole foundation and everything is. That's what drives what they're doing. Um, they brought in a bunch of us from different storage, you know, the enterprise side to come and work. And so you you now have this kind of blending of things. And and, and I think because the the developers see storage as something just like make it make it be there and make it so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're finding ways to make it so they bring some really interesting, cool ideas to the table that those of us that are real storage people that are terrified of ever losing a byte of data, right. you know, would never, ever want to try. And I, I think it's it's a good blend. And I, I think that's what has to happen. We have to get back to the days when, you know, if, if you were in the data center doing anything, you were, you were dev and ops. If you did anything operational, you also had to be able to do and understand the dev side. And if you were going to do the dev side, you had to understand and be able to do the ops side. So we had the switch when we went to client server where that all changed. Now it's kind of coming back. I think that's what's probably not answering your question. But. No, no, it's good. I, I, again, I, like I, that, that's what I, you know, my, my, I guess my sort of follow-up, I'm trying to um, you know, obviously as a kind of unified storage, you can, like you said, you can do you can do uh, object you can be S3 compatible. You can do file. You can do block. Um, and you know, when when you can kind of do all those things, I mean, at some level, you could go, hey, we could we could sort of do anything. I mean, you could, you know, you could run the bulk of the application using object for scale out. It may still use, you know, some amount of file for logging, and it might use block to you know boot the machines. I mean, right? Some just as simple as that. Do you find? Um, do you, I mean, like one of the things Ed mentioned is, you know, Ceph is, is sort of designed uh, the things you guys have put in to make it very easy to manage, very easy to scale, you know, add, add nodes, grow the cluster. Do you find people tend to start with one, one aspect of it, say object, and then kind of migrate and pick up the other ones as they need to? Or do they sort of come to you at the kitchen sink and say, we like the fact that you do all of them in one code base and we're going to use all of it? Or, I mean, do you find that or... I think the answer is both. So I think that people usually come to us with one use case in mind. Um, but the reason why Ceph does definitely have an advantage over its competitors is because it does it does you, does give you the kitchen sink. Um, you know, the one thing that, that, that you could always counter that with is, well, how can you do everything so well? 
And the answer to that is really, if you're doing it well at a low level, mm-hmm. adding things on top of it, um, not bolting on technologies like, um, you know, just strapping things together and, and kind of disrupting your engineering mentality of, you know, assuming everything can fail, but but really saying, okay, if we engineer it right at the at the, at the lowest levels, um, can we do things at the higher levels? And I think that's what's made, um, you know, made us successful to some degree is that that you know we do still sit on top of disks that have um, a file system on them because that's the easy that's a quick way to market but then the way that we handle intelligence about how um, how many copies to write what to do if if uh, a node fails what to do if a drive fails um, it's handled at the object level and and so when you start to design those things in people will come to you and say okay like I love the way that this is architected by the way I love the way that like since it's it's engineered pretty well, um, at the lower levels, you know, then can I start to, to use other technologies that, that adapt on that? And I think kind of the next phase that you'll see is um, just making sure, optimizing those different use cases. So now um, we're spending a lot of effort on the file system and uh, things around um, uh, like Hadoop and big data, uh, which is ironically where the project started. But you know, since Ink Tank was formed, we spent a lot because we got a lot of traction in the OpenStack community. Um, we're we're pretty involved with the CloudStack guys as well. But when when customers are saying, "Hey, I have no equivalent of OpenStack for storage," yep. it it just made such an easy fit for us, and we were really involved with the uh, OpenStack Foundation or the, the 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 board and the community and the developers. Um, so it makes it easiest easy for us to go there. But I think over time. Um, we'll just continue to improve those use cases. And I think the other thing is is that, you know, we kind of picked off work in chunks and phases. So we picked it by use case. We didn't necessarily say, um, you know, uh, let's let's just spend, you know, all this time working around, uh, you know, just, you know, just pure object, yeah. um, you know, at the lower le- 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 levels. We, what we did is we tried to iterate and improve, um, you know, the things to the point where they were, production stable and then when you move beyond that then you can start to add these features and functions but you know sage is sage i don't know when when i first got the pitch from sage and and brian bogensberger who's our, our ceo and president um you know as soon as they start to mention like by the way these objects are extensible so you can add classes to these objects um and you start to think oh wow like so that means that i can do things like build an application where the storage is now doing the compute around the storage um inside of the node that starts to make a lot of sense and you're like wow this stuff was built in from the get-go um so that's been pretty interesting the 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 other thing that i'll add to is there seems to be like you know when we talked about when i was at joint um you know those guys had picked the solaris horse as odd as a, a horse as it was um, Solaris had some inherent features, things like detrace and, uh, you know, pretty, you know, in terms of how it handled containers and OS right. virtualization, they were pretty interesting. That was kind of like, a, it's almost, I liken it to a, a religious decision. Yeah. Um, so Ceph, which uses Crush, um, it's pseudo-random placement, but it's, you know, other companies are sitting out there developing products that pick you know, a ring um, as a method to, to replicate and protect nodes. And mm-hmm. other other ones are doing consistent hashing. And all of those have their drawbacks. I think Crush, you know, you could probably say it may have, you know, certain drawbacks here or there. But we 
been able to scale the protocol to where how we place data, how we move data pretty well to where you don't see these things like if you add capacity to a Luster cluster, you may see a whole ton of your data move inside of the data center. Um, with us, we just move a little bit of that data for the added capacity. So, so far, this story has worked out where, um, you know, you, you, um, the things that you expect out of a storage system that can actually hold your data, protect your data, and, and make sure you don't lose your data have held true. And I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know if, if Gina has anything to add to it, but she's, she's been spending a ton of time with the engineers and developers um, building the training material. And I think that we still find that at its purest form, um, their Ceph still feels like that next gen, not like you made a ton of compromises um, to get to where you are by picking a religion. Right. Well, I, the other thing is, and, and I, we kind of have hinted around about it, but it's it's truly modular. So, like, if you want to use all of it, the kitchen sink, you can. If you only want to use one, that's the only one you use. So it's not like you install this big thing and you use everything. You know, you're going to have the the Ceph cluster, which is the 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 object store. You'll have that no matter what. But if all you're doing is block, you can just only do block. Right. All you want to do is use the file system. You can just use the file system. So. So that's I think that's pretty compelling too, and I think the way that the crush algorithm works is just it, it's really solid. So that mm-hmm. that's actually and, that, I, and, and that's always the I mean, and that's always the trade off with with storage architectures is is you know like 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 you said I mean you can you can kind of get religious about stuff, but at some point. Um, you know, you you probably do certain things really really well because it's it's you know at the deepest level that's the core of how it's built. You know, you might be great at file, you might be great at object, and then what you I think what you're ultimately kind of hoping for is is once you add that other types of functionality on top of it, um, you don't make the code completely spaghetti so that you can kind of be flexible. Like you said, like if you guys down the road, um, you know, want to do you know native. Um, you know, Hadoop file system, and you want to run compute and storage on the same types of nodes. Like that's not going to blow the system up. Um, right. and, and then you know, and then you get into these trade-offs where it's like, um, yes, some individual box or an individual appliance might do something ten percent, twenty percent better, thirty percent better. But where's the trade-off? Is it is it do you trade off performance for? I now have to manage that with a completely different way of doing it, a different API, a different set of tools, or you know, so storage always has that 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 challenge in that um, you know it's it's uh, you're going to make trade-offs somewhere. You hope that, like you said, your architects were thinking far enough ahead to say, hey, we're going to kind of make the, the the architecture modular enough so we don't blow it up when we know when we have to add new stuff, but we don't really always know what new stuff we might have to add down the road. So it, it sounds like what you guys what you have in place is. Uh, has been thought through. It sounds like um, you're getting good feedback from customers that are saying, like, well, we started here, but wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? And you're kind of realizing, like, hey, what we, we can do that. We don't have to blow the product up and start over. We don't have to, you know, you sort of haven't gone, uh-oh, now we're in trouble. <laughs> we can't we well, can't take on that whole huge ca- class of use cases. There's two points to that, right? Like, So first of all, I think they really did do a pretty good job architecting like, the, the base level so it would be modular. That mm-hmm. was like a design principle. Yeah. But the other thing is customers don't have to come to Ink Tank to tell us that. They can actually become contributors to the code. Yeah. They can help make it better because it's, Ceph is an open source project. So they can actually you know, help make it better. And, and I think that's kind of very interesting from a training perspective you know, is if we can go out and train customers and get them you know, bootstrapped and ready to go and do their things and then we see them starting to contribute to that Ceph code and then become contributors and, and make improvements like we're talking about 
that's you would never be able to do that in a commercial no, for a no. commercial product. And that is just amazing to get that feedback immediately to the product because the product is open source and anybody can contribute. So right. it's very cool. Right. Now, storage is, you know, kind of a complicated thing in terms of it's, you know, beyond the, the, the access protocols and so forth. I mean, there's there's backup, there's there's DR, there's a lot of sort of things that, uh, you know, are beyond sort of primary storage. Like, typically, where does Ceph sort of stop? Where do people in the community sort of say, uh, that shouldn't go into Ceph, it should be part of some other sort of project? Is, is, it, is it mostly sort of primary scale out? storage or are you seeing people try and do things around backup and dr and high availability and so forth so i mean i, I think we're, we're we're seeing people use it in in sort of traditional sense I mean, in fact one of the first service providers um that was one of our first customers um their whole thing was that they were going to use it for vm backup and then archiving uh for their customers okay and so you do absolutely see um a quite a bit of adoption where people are morphing that into the use case that they see. Um, you know, one thing that I think uh, that, that we've also seen is people building, um, you know, today we don't present, we don't present iSCSI, we don't pre- present NFS, we don't present the traditional protocols. And a lot of that's just been because um, our focus has been, if you look at Ceph as a core, when you start to add those legacy protocols on, you start to break the whole model of, uh, you know, everything can fail. Mm-hmm. Um but you've seen customers go ahead and build around that and say, okay, well, you know, give us a reference architecture. Tell us how, you know, if we want to use uh, iSCSI or NFS, how we should do that. We can absolutely show them how they should be doing that so they can use it for those traditional use cases. Um, the other thing that we're doing, too, is obviously working with, um, you know, vendors like Citrix and, and VMware um, to, to make sure that, you know, there's some way that their customers can adopt it. Uh, but it's still... If you look at being a startup, um, people may have heard me say this before, but sometimes it just doesn't make as much sense to go after a very crowded market. If you look at the storage yep. startup market, it's incredibly crowded. Oh, so yeah. if you're spending your time trying to convince people for you know that, that you're trying to compete with EMC to do that on the on the first swag, that's like you're not taking the low hanging fruit. For us, taking the low hanging fruit is saying, look, you can stand up an S3 and Swift compatible object store right on, you know in your own data center you don't have to use aws anymore and people are the light bulb or um they say hey we're going to use the uh, the block side to build a back-end block store for you know, this open stack stuff that we're trying out yeah. um so those are the low-hanging fruit for us i think you know on our roadmap um you know we'll, we'll start to get into more of the mainstream use cases but we're definitely taking the low-hanging fruit that we're good at that other competitors aren't um right off the bat and and it's it's proving to be pretty successful. Very cool. Very cool. Well, listen, let me throw out one last thing to you guys, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up. Um, so, uh, you know, for either Ink Tank or for you guys as, as technologists, what's what's on your radar? We're, you know, we're nearing the 2013, assuming we actually all make it that far with the lines <laughs> and everything. Um, like, what's what's on your radar? What's What do you guys, you know, what sort of, uh, you know, cool, what, what are you kind of keeping an eye on for, for next year? I don't know if I'm keeping an eye on anything. I mean, for me, I've got my plate full. Yeah. <laughs> just getting up to speed on some of the open source technologies. I mean, if you sit in an enterprise for a while, you're so concentrated on what you're doing that, you know, you might hear of things going on. So, like, for me, you know, learning Kimu and KVM and, and um, I have a Cassandra shirt on. I w- that has nothing to do with Ink Tank or stuff, but I'm 
really interested in more and more learning more about that. Just there's so much to learn about. Um, I'm writing a vendor neutral object storage e-learning module, and that's been interesting. Just you know, trying to nail down. Okay, it there, there's different properties that are common to everybody, but it's like every single company does the, the basic back end of it completely different. Yeah. So how do you teach that? So like for me, for me, it's just kind of um, trying to catch up on some of the things that I haven't been up to date on and, and trying to synthesize those and make sense of them. No, that makes sense. I know, I know Aaron having shifted over to working on OpenStack is, is saying a lot of the same things. It's, you know, just trying to figure out what all these projects mean. What do they do? How are they different? Um, just nomenclature and terminology. And uh, so, okay, very, very cool. Ed, anything, uh, anything cool on your plate? You're always uh, uh, like to dig deep into the technology, or at least always used to. Yeah, yeah. No, um, it's still the case. I, I, I think I'll echo the same thing that that um, you know Aaron and Gina said around. Just it's it's a little bit new for me to be completely in the open source world. So what I've been spending um, quite a bit of time is just you know understanding the OpenStack ecosystem, understanding. Um, kind of the reality versus the perception out there, be it, you know, there's a a lot of people involved. Is there a lot of contribution or is it, you know, is it maturing yet? Um, So the most exciting thing I think that I can say is that, you know, we always talk about the commoditization up the stack of different components of it. And I think this is, it's finally coming um, to fruition where you've got a lot of companies paying attention to things like OpenStack and CloudStack where, um, these are big undertakings. It's not, you know, a year ago or two years ago. Um, I think that OpenStack was in a very interesting place where it was, you know, my perception, and I think that's kind of um, proved out to be a little bit of the reality is that, you know, they were spending a lot of time building up the hype around it, getting partners, but now actual contributions are coming into play and you're seeing some real things come of it. So the most exciting thing for me is watching the actual so the commoditization is is beginning to happen, um, and actually people are starting to do POCs and deploy it. Yeah. Um, so that, and it's, I'm still very cloud and storage focused. Right. Um, the networking right. space has been, you know, a little interesting around SDN and those kinds of things. But again, I think yeah. those things are on the same kind of um, you know maturity curve as as you would see something like OpenStack. Right. Right. Now I would agree. I think uh, I saw an interesting chart now it's just a it was a small poll but i think they they did a polling at at uh at gartner data center which uh you know kind of a very old older school enterprisey sort of thing but even in that i think they had about 20 percent of the crowd said they were looking at OpenStack as being sort of their cloud management platform and somewhere like 10 12 13 percent were saying uh we're looking at cloud stack so you know when you consider you know 30 i think about 40 percent of them were looking at vmware that's a pretty big number for something that a lot of people traditionally maybe don't even know where they would where they would get the code from or who they would work with to do it so that's that's encouraging that's encouraging and and a little scary i would love to talk to aaron some more about the vocabulary thing because i think that's been one of the most challenging things i've found is that the development side calls things one it's certain names that from the enterprise side we use the same word for something completely different <laughs> so yeah, yeah. so I, I that you know i think there's a there's a huge opportunity to to be translators yeah. of some sort you know or to have some kind of key to help people understand you know if they're coming from the enterprise or if they're coming from the development side trying to understand the enterprise side better very cool. Well, we uh, we do have a decent number. We're finding more and more. We have a, 
a decent number of, of open source listeners. So if you, if you are smart about this stuff, reach out to Gina, we'll put her contact information in the show notes and, uh, and, uh, you know, folks from the Zen community and folks from the open Nebula community and a bunch of others and obviously CloudStack and so forth. So, um, so real quick, before we wrap this up, um, I want to give a real quick thank you to all the people that have made contributions to the, the charity project that Aaron and I are working on the, uh, uh North Carolina children's hospital. That's part of the crazy, uh, Krispy Kreme donut run that we do every year. Uh, we're at about 35% of our thousand dollar goal. Um, Aaron and I are going to match that dollar for dollar. So we're, you know, we're at about yeah, 35% of the $2,000 goal. Um, so uh, want to thank everybody who's contributed to that. Um, your buddy Greg has been one of those contributors. Uh, there's a whole list of folks that will will get uh, will get posted and, and thank them publicly for. Um, but you know, folks, if if you're lucky enough to have uh, healthy kids and you're looking for some way to um, to help out or you could give a little bit, it'd be great. It'd be appreciated. Uh, the links are in the top right of the cloudcast.com or cloudcast.net website. So uh, enough of that. Um, for Ed and Gina, guys, thanks so much for being on the show. Where can folks find you? Uh, where you know where are you going to be out and about? Where can they find you on the web? Where can they find out more stuff about Ceph and Ink Tank? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm Ed Sy on Twitter, though I haven't been tweeting lately because I've been on mysterious international trips these days. Um, but Ed Sy on Twitter and breathingdata.com um, is where I blog. Cool. And um, Gminks on Twitter and. My blog link is there. It's too long. I don't have a cool one like Ed. Um, and we'll both be at Dell World next week, too. So okay, if anybody's cool. in Austin, holler at us. Very nice. All right. And we'll get all that uh, in the show notes and everything else. So, um, so guys, thanks for being on the show tonight. Um, we're done for the evening. Uh, folks, if you like the show, tell a friend, leave a review on iTunes. You can obviously find us uh, at thecloudcast.net on Twitter and all the other social network things, and you can find the links off the webpage. So for Ed and Gina and for Aaron, who's off uh, doing other projects, uh, thank you very much and have a good night. Thanks.